0: I'm Garrison Doctor.
1: And I'm Corinne Doctor.
0: And this is Fishing Stories.
1: And on today's episode, we are joined by April Vokey.
0: That's right. Ex-steelhead guide from BC. She now splits her time between BC and Australia and is the media mogul at Anchored Outdoors.
1: And she's been on more fishing adventures than I think most of us can even think about.
0: Absolutely.
1: And for anyone who doesn't know who April is, I guess I'm a little shocked, but... Let's listen to some of her fishing stories.
0: You will now. April, are you there?
2: I'm here. How are you guys?
1: We're doing good. We are, we're doing evening time while I know you're kind of like midday over there.
2: Yeah, it's 11.09 a.m. Tomorrow,
0: which is always a little Great weird.
2: <laughs> Not for long ago. I'm coming back home. I'm coming back to Canada in 12 days.
0: Oh, that'll be great.
2: Just in time
1: for the best time in the Rockies, really.
2: Exactly. It's not a mistake. We'll be going to Wyoming and yeah, it's going to be good.
1: Well, that sounds fun. We're just south of Wyoming and we get up there quite a bit. Right.
0: That's true.
2: Actually, I'm flying in through Denver. I've got a couple nights in Denver. Are you guys?
1: We're 20 minutes from the airport.
2: No way. We might have to arrange that. Yeah, we're flying in, staying the night going to Wyoming the next day and then doing the same thing on the way out. But it gives us a total of, I think, three days in Denver.
1: Oh, that'll be great. Well, keep us posted. We're around.
0: Yeah, i yeah, love to see you. Well, cool. So we have the one and only April Voki on the line here.
1: That's right. It's really an honor for me. Not only are you a master angler and just like an amazing person, but I don't think I ever told you this, but your episode of Anchored with Yakko was half of my inspiration for this podcast. Oh, good. Yeah, I was listening to it because I love Yako and he's such a funny guy, right? So I'm like chuckling along with you guys talking about his bio and what he got into. And he starts telling this story about, I think he was in the Seychelles, and a tiger shark like comes after his client's fish and he goes to fight the tiger shark. And then all of a sudden, the story's over, and he's like, "Well, never mind. You didn't ask me about that," and he blows kind of past it. And I was like, "Yako, I want to hear the rest of that story. What if I could just sit down and make Yako tell me that story?"
2: Yes, <laughs> and what, it's one of many. He's absolutely just full of them. Same with what he, when he was talking about the seagulls and the giant Trevally eating seagulls,
1: just like yeah. like an everyday event that these fish are eating
2: seabirds.
1: I know he's wild. We had him on season one and he told us some wild tales of piracy and all those things, but we could have him back time and time again, just like you have a million stories under your belt.
0: That's right.
1: Oh, thank you.
2: And I'm not a master angler. Um, I just want to, I wish I was a master angler, Corinne, that would be fantastic, but um, nope, just a girl who used to have too much time on her hands.
1: I mean, that's kind of how we all are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I wish we had too much time on our hands. We find ourselves too busy, as I know you do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird nowadays. I often
2: wonder if people now do have, you know, younger people have as much time as we used to. Because there are just so many more distractions now. There didn't used to be this many distractions. So I don't know if it's just that we, like you guys, I think you're probably similar age, Shelby, both? Yeah, we're mid-30s,
1: mid to late at this point. Yeah, right.
2: (laughs) 39, almost 40. yeah. you know, back then, looking back then, there was nothing to distract you. What what were you distracted by? Having to go to work and school. So yeah. um, I wonder if young people now, young people, I'm so old, but I wonder if, you know, people with lots of time, um, if they actually have time or if they're busy, distracted. So that might be a, a podcast episode for another
1: day.
0: That's exactly. right. It's a different world out there. That's for sure.
1: I feel like you need no intro. But just because we've said you're the one and only April Vokey and what we respect and you know, love to know about you. Just tell the people a little bit about who you are, the 30-second rundown.
2: Um, I am a Canadian who fell in love with an Australian um, about 10 years ago. So now I split the year uh, between Canada and Australia, although not evenly since COVID. Um, I have been fishing my whole life, started really getting into fly fishing when I was about 18 and started a, well, I started guiding for an operation in the Fraser Valley uh, in British Columbia, and then in 2007, started my own company, Flygal, which um, is where I guided for a number of years before stopping guiding after 10 years and branching into podcasting and more media, and as of recent, um, the last three years, I run an online membership called Anchored Outdoors, and it is where I will be staying. I've never been this happy before,
1: so. That's awesome. I love the Anchored Outdoors. As you know, I took the master class, Brian Gregson's photography master class. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Like I'm not very creative minded. Garrison is the creative mind behind Rep Your Water. And it was really a simplified, but also elevated way to get your brain thinking about photos. I mean, all of us who fish, we take photos all the time. So mm-hmm. why not? He's a master. Yeah. And there's a whole
2: rebrand right now too. You guys will have to not a rebrand, but the, the website's being re- redone. So we'll have to get you on there when the site's all complete. Congrats. That's
0: yeah, exciting. Can't wait.
2: Thanks. Um, so yeah, that's me in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, with that out of the way, you know, we're here to hear some fishing stories. And uh, we know you have many. So I don't know if something comes to mind that you wanted to start with, but uh, we're all ears.
2: Yeah. Um, well, it's funny because when you were saying before we were rolling, you said, let's talk about some steelhead. And there's, there are a lot of steelhead stories. That's what I grew up doing, salmon and steelhead fishing. But you'd you mentioned some of my stories here. And the first, when I say here, I mean, Australia, the first one that popped into my mind, is just this ridiculous story of my husband and I are both obsessed with marlin which is, it just couldn't be any more different than steelhead fishing. I steelhead fish to be alone and to be wild and adventurous. And Marlin fishing is a team effort. So it's the sort of thing you have to be in the right mindset for. You've got to go out. If you're on a big game fishing boat, you've got a whole crew. So you've got the captain, you've got a deckhand, you've got yourself. What happens um, if you want to play by the quote unquote rules, which are kind of ridiculous is the captain has to put the boat in neutral or, you know, take it out of gear. And then the deckie or the deckhand is trying to bait and switching. So he's trying to get the fish close to shore. And then he goes, yep. And I go, yep. And he pulls the bait out and I go to make the fly cast to get the fly in front of the fish. And then it all goes from there. So it's very exciting with the whole crew. And that's usually four people. But Charles, my husband and I wanted to see if we could do it with just the two of us. And so we Mm -hmm. spent hours in our little 19-foot boat out in the big ocean trying to find a marlin. And it's one morning off the coast of Sydney. And um, <laughs> I'm talking hours of trying to find this fish, years. We finally get this fish up. The fish is there. He's bathing it in. I've got all my line um, in, a, in a bucket below me. And I'm just holding on to my rod, waiting for all of this. And as he's pulling it in, I didn't realize that I was wearing a sarong, I was freezing and I had it, I found it in the boat because it was in the morning and I had it wrapped around me and I didn't realize, you know, all the tassels on a sarong, they had all tangled into each other and he's going, yep. And I couldn't, I was mummified in my sarong and I couldn't make the cast and after years of trying to get this fish, I couldn't even make the cast because I was wrapped up like a burrito in a sarong so oh no. <laughs> that's your
0: line was ready to go so that's good
2: we everything was ready i just couldn't get my arm up and so that was probably when i think back to my most disappointing lost fish moments that is definitely the one that comes to mind first and charles obviously loves to you know rub salt in the wound on that one um is, i mean, doesn't yeah. does give you a new sarong for
1: your birthday every year. <laughs>
2: no sarongs on the you know, I have actually never worn a sarong ever again after that. And I wasn't wearing it. I just had it wrapped. I mean, if I had it wrapped around my waist, like it was supposed to be, I probably wouldn't have had a problem. But I was freezing and I had it wrapped around my arms.
0: That's too good. Oh my God, I love it. (laughs) That marlin game sounds so entertaining when it does actually happen, just being so visual and just the size and color and speed of that fish. Oh my gosh.
2: It's next level. We had to slow it down just because of fuel consumption. And, you know, there are a number of reasons why it maybe just didn't make sense. Um, I I did end up getting my marlin and then that was it. I kind of hung it up for a bit, but yep, that one, that one hurt. And then and
0: what are we talking about blue marlin black marlin
2: Um I think that one was probably a stripe. I've landed a what right. I, mean, I think I had a little black
0: Uh-huh
2: Australia's got them all apart from white
0: Well yeah and some huge ones
2: Yeah unbelievable huge huge sure. big uh, rec, you know records are down here so Yeah Yeah And so
1: when you're talking about like somebody throws out the bait. It's like just a popper teaser type.
2: It's like one of those
0: big squid kind of things, huh?
2: Totally depends on the boat. Um, When Uh we were out, when I, when I'm out with Charles, we typically have, yeah, just, just like a squid thing. And we've got the daisy chain and that's why it's also frantic. So what happens? I missed a step. He, when it's just the two of us, it's a lot harder than when there are four. So when there's two of us, we need to get the boat out. We need to, he's baiting it in. He's retrieving the bait. And then I'm, down there. And this is why I didn't realize I was wrapped. I'm down there retrieving the daisy chain. So we've got about 15 feet of, of squid that are daisy chain and you need to pull them up. So I'm retrieving the daisy chain. And then this is all happening so fast while he's retrieving, I'm daisy chaining and then getting ready to make the cast. So there's a lot on the angler at that point when it's just two of you. And so we didn't realize that I couldn't get my arms up until, yeah. Until the most important (laughs) part.
1: Actual time. (laughs) Yeah,
2: other than that, everything was textbook, but just that one.
1: Well, I feel like if something can go wrong, it will. I mean, even when we've gone fishing in places, you know, it's like a beautiful lake and there's no shrubbery because I feel like usually there's always sagebrush around whenever we're on a lake. It's just beautiful grass. And then there's one little twig sticking up that will grab your running line and will absolutely screw you over. That's <laughs> yes. right.
2: It's Law. And honestly, I have seen every mistake. Every time you think that there's not anything else that could possibly go wrong, something else goes wrong. It's absolutely amazing. And you can have silence for eight hours and
1: then you've got ten seconds of excitement. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. had our first efforts towards permit this last week. We just mm-hmm. got back from Mexico. How was it? And they were only efforts. I mean Talk about eight hours of silence.
0: I mean, we didn't we didn't make a cast the first day. We just stood on the boat holding a crab fly, waiting for something to throw a cast at it. It never happened.
2: That's exactly right. That's that's what it's like. And actually, that's going to segue me perfectly into my next story. Okay, so I take my best friend to Florida, Adrienne Camo. She's amazing. She's an excellent angler. Do not mistake this story for her being anything but. Um. So I take her to Florida. We're very excited, and I'm on the bow of the boat. I'm on the platform for I don't know. I mean we're doing shop, shop for shop. And it'd been a long time we hadn't seen anything. And are
0: we fishing for a tarpon? What are we doing? We we're
2: fishing for we were fishing for tarpon and then we were on a permit flat. We're looking Got it. we're hoping for a permit. We hadn't seen anything in like two days. Um oh that's right. She's already caught a, tar- a tarpon at this point because she was up first. Okay, so now good. it's my turn. Okay. Now it's been two days. Um and we're just happy to be out there talking. But still, if anyone's, you know, it's My turn, and so I desperately have to use the bathroom, and I'm thinking to myself, it's been two days. What are the chances that in this 20 seconds that I go to the bathroom that something's going to happen? So I get down, go to the bathroom, and she hops up, and wouldn't she know it? There is the biggest permit I have ever seen in my life. The guide is freaking out. It's the size of a bloody golden retriever. It's enormous. And because aid is so new at the time she was so new at to salt to flat fishing, she couldn't see it. And yeah. she, you should hear her tell the story. She tells it better than I do. She's like, where? And the guy in there is screaming, it's like 20 feet. It's the golden retriever right there.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> and
2: I can't obviously, what am I going to do? I can't kick her off. I'm not a complete asshole. And uh, anyway, she makes the cast, it eats. And then, you know, I'll, the rest of the story, the, Trout said, and out of the fish's mouth. and um, yeah. So that was probably a second close to painful, just thinking of like top lost fish. Yeah. Like put that in my yeah. top few.
0: I really had this last trip. I had one golden opportunity. We had tough weather, clouds, wind. We just didn't have like a ton of shots. But one day I had two, you know, decent fish on a shallow, flat, happy, tailing, just looking for actually eating cr- like only time i ever saw a permit acting like this the whole trip like they were happy they wanted to eat a crab you know and immediately you could tell the guide just got juiced up it was like everything changed in the boat the energy changed. he was like we're getting in we're waiting after these fish and i got so jacked and uh i did eventually put the fly in front of one and it turned on it and i think i just stripped a little too fast Um, you
1: weren't acting like a crab
0: wasn't acting crabby enough I think is the problem and the permit spooked off and who knows you know it's a permit so probably wouldn't wouldn't have eaten the fly anyway but (laughs) the guide was so upset with me and I was upset and shaking and just one of those situations I've replayed a thousand times and I wish I could have back
2: did you get in a fight with him it's funny because I I almost feel like there should be an entire show dedicated to guide stories like fallouts with guides and client black book, black, you know, the blacklist of clients. Um did he say anything to you? Because- it- Oh,
0: it was, the whole morning was heated. Like it was not, I was like not on my A game. I mean, I could cue up excuse like A, B, C, and D, but I was a little hungover, a little jittery, just was not on my best. He was not happy with me. And so like when I stripped too fast, he just looked at me and he was like, I told you how to strip.
2: <laughs> Where were you? Florida. Florida. It's got to be Florida. No,
0: no, Mexico. It is Mexico. Oh, it is. And then just really? turned and walked back to the boat. And I was like, fuck, what have I done? I was so upset <laughs> and with And then myself. you only had
1: four hours left together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only four hours left. Also, I did realize while there was some like, you know, language communication. I mean, my Spanish is not good, but I understand most things. But there's still... When there's a language barrier, some of the subtleties are hard to pick up on. He had wanted me to strip faster earlier, I think just to get the fly out of a situation, but then I had that in my mind. It's the first time I've ever had a permit look at a fly. The other thing I think is like usually when a fish that I really want, like a big predatory fish, turns on a fly, what do you do?
2: I don't know what you do, but I just like what? fall
0: apart. Like Usually mm-hmm. I would be like, yeah, like eat it. I'm going to take it away from you a little bit, right? Like most predatory fish, you want to like pull the fly away and then they're going to eat it. But that's not what crabs do. So
2: yeah, because they turn
0: and I, they just go slow or try to die into the sand. I don't know. They don't do what I tried to do. April, I could tell you that much.
1: <laughs> I mean, you have way more saltwater experience than we do. This was this was our like warm up trying to really understand flats fishing. So, we have been just selfishly asking people for saltwater tips on this podcast recently.
2: We just we actually just got a cameraman back from Belize who did our flats fishing masterclass with Bill Flack. Oh, so we'll get you set up on that. But in Mexico it's funny. I agreed to go with a buddy on a cruise. He had this like board cruise, and I hate cruises, but I agreed to go because it was to Mexico if I could get in one day of flats fishing. So you know how they they park or whatever, and you get out and you go check out the markets or yeah, whatever excursion. Yeah, so we grabbed a cab and went to the, these flats with a guide. And it all, obviously, it's your one day and like three days. So we definitely pushed the limit. And so we're racing back to get to the to the cruise boat ship and everybody, we're late. And people are lining the rails, yelling at us. I can't even believe that they waited, but they're lining the rails, screaming at us. And my buddy didn't have enough cash to pay the taxi driver.
1: So he left
2: me as collateral or whatever it's called. He left me in the taxi waiting. Well, he ran back. I cannot believe I let him do this now. In retrospect, I was young and stupid, but yeah, he, I let him leave me in the cab while he ran back to go get cash out of the cruise ship. And then that should have been the opposite. I can. It should have been the opposite, right? What a bastard. Definitely. Um, <laughs> definitely. Um, <but laughs>
1: okay. No, I didn't get a thing. Oh, that sounds like Mexico fishing for me.
0: <laughs> hey, to be fair, we caught, we caught quite yeah. a few bonefish. We, I caught a decent snook. I mean, there were some things around.
1: Well, like we like to switch off partners you know we were with a group of 12 and so
0: yeah we're hosting a trip great group down there so we were kind of rotating around a little bit
1: and it seemed like no matter which day i was with a certain guide it was like zero or hero permit day so i spent a lot of days looking for permit and other people were like yeah we caught baby tarpon and this i was like i caught two bone fish (laughs) like the end
2: (laughs) well i think it's a good practice um it, it was, was but there was serious there were definitely communication barriers so that and and my guide actually all of the guides i've had in mexico didn't really care if i caught a fish or not so i'm very impressed that your guide cared so much it actually makes me want to go out with them
0: not oh I, them, but like was- i would love to have another day with this guide he was great like he knew these flats and he was to your point like he was invested he cared I think he could like see the potential. He was like, this guy can cast. I can see it. He's just shitting the bed right now, but I know he can do it, you know? So he was like really invested. Well, guys, for better
1: or worse, I do speak fluent Spanish and I disappointed the guides too. (laughs) They weren't mad at me. Like I could tell that there was nuance there, but I definitely disappointed. they
0: weren't mad they were just disappointed oh, that's yeah. even
1: worse
2: i'd rather you be mad at me any day than
1: disappointed i know i didn't get yelled at i just got the like <sighs> don't really look down oh the
2: press <laughs> and the look down no <laughs> yeah oh, Two wor- oh, the worst combination it's funny that even in new zealand i've had communication barriers
0: fishing stories is brought to you by rep your water apparel
1: for those of you who don't know, we are the co-founders and owners of Rep Your Water, where we make everything from hats, sun shirts, merino blend sun hoodies, whiskey glasses, teas and much more.
0: All of our products feature unique designs and all of them support our conservation partners. To see the latest and learn more, check out our website www.repyourwater.com.
1: Fishing Stories is also brought to you by Lock & Co Whiskey,
0: distilled right here in Colorado and finished with hand-cut charred Colorado aspen wood discs. This smooth and yet complex whiskey is as unique as any trout stream.
1: It's a staple on our bar at home and is delicious, served as is, or even mixed in a cocktail. To learn more, go to www.lockandcodistilling.com. Lock spelled with an E. Even
2: in New Zealand, I've had communication barriers. I remember it was one of my first times in, on the South Island, uh, on the South Island, and my guide was like, lift! Oh, how does he say that? left. And I was like, yeah, I will in a second. Cause I thought he was telling me to cast left, and I'm like mid drift. Hang on, buddy. Like, cast left. <laughs> You're like hey, right. he's saying lift, lift, loft, loft. The way that they say their eyes like fush, fush and chups, and then what's and then like left would be lift, and deck is dick, and so oh, all these wow. crazy com- miscommunications. And I mean, they're just the Kiwis. They're just two hours from here, and I still have a hard time understanding what they're saying.
0: Right one of the guides down there, Corinne, was fishing with our friend Santi at this, like, they had a school of permit in this one spot. And he was saying shorter. But In
1: Spanish. He was saying, like, shorter, you're short, you're short in Spanish, which one would think that means you need a longer cast. But he meant you were too close to the fish in the path that the fish was coming at. Oh. And so... None of us understood that until you were saying, like,
0: it. lead them more or something. Yeah, it was a different connotation These than was
2: communications. Understood. And it's, it's ugh. oh, I had you're just giving me flashbacks. Once in the Bahamas, I had a, it was Bill Klein from Patagonia, and he's like, Don't let him get down and dirty. And I mean, maybe that's something everyone's heard before, I don't know, but in my world, that means. You know, I'm like thinking pervasive. I'm thinking it's some perverted term. And I'm like, I won't let him take advantage of me. Don't worry. And he's like, no, don't let him get into the mangroves. Don't let him get down and dirty. Oh, (laughs) that's not a term I know. They're breaking (laughs) him off in the mangrove. So, you know, it's just, yeah, the miscommunication definitely happens, even with Americans and people next door.
0: (laughs) Circling back on your Marlin story, I would love to do a little bit more blue water fishing at some point. The first and only time I've ever caught a Marlin was very early in my fishing career. And I wasn't fly fishing. I just like convinced my dad to take a boat out off of Mexico to go deep sea fishing. Cause I loved fishing, right? The only fly fishing I was doing at the time was in Colorado and I caught like a little striped Marlin is amazing, I'm fly- but
2: no, i what did you
0: catch? No, no, just just trolling, just not on the fly. Still
2: though, how hard fight?
0: Oh, yeah. And it was, I think I was like 14 or something, you know, I was really young. So I was like thrilled, but I really wanted to let it go. And it was, you know, how beautiful they are. Spectacular. And just, I still remember all the like pulsing vivid colors, you know, but, you know, we're in Mexico and of course the boat crew was like, Hey, you know, this'll feed our families for days like we don't want to let this go you, you know it. it's like okay and then just proceed to get out baseball bat and just like beat this thing to death and like literally watching the lights kind of go out yes. and watching this like beautiful animal die and it was like it was a hard fishing moment for me like i was not a fan of deep sea fishing scene for a minute after that experience
2: it's so true though watching the because they they're so fluorescent and so lit up it's just like when you get one of those mahi you know dorado there and they're so lit up and then you check them later in the cooler and you're going oh goodness what happened to you you washed out but um unfortunately marlin provide a lot of meat and they are really delicious they are that
1: well on a totally different note if I recall correctly, you and Charles met in Norway. Is that right? We did. Yep, that's definitely
2: my most interesting <laughs> fishing story off the water. But um, we'll save that for off the record. And a
1: couple comments. That's off the record, but you could tell us about salmon fishing at least. Yeah. It's something that's kind of like it's in our future of when we're good enough with a two-hand rod.
0: We're it's- edging up. We did brown trout in Iceland last summer. We're going to fish sea-run browns in Iceland this fall. We're kind of baby stepping our way into the salmon territory, hopefully.
2: So how did you like the Icelandic time zone? Like, how did you like the 24 hours of daylight in the summer there?
1: It was a like and a dislike.
2: (laughs) I know that. Yeah, because you're exhausted.
1: But also, like, you keep your energy up so much because it's light out. And, you know, you're having dinner at 10 and drinks until 1. And then you're like, oh, God, if we're going to start fishing again at 7, we should try to go to sleep. But... Yeah. Then the birds are up all night.
0: We loved it. And we love birds. Like we're bird watchers, like unapologetic bird nerds. But I remember distinctly like multiple warnings at like 3.30 and the birds were just going bananas. And I had like a decent hangover starting to cook. And I was like, it's light out. The birds are going crazy. Like, why can't we get a little night around here? Do your
1: plugs. Exactly. I, use, I did do earplugs. plugs. So
2: in Norway, what I don't know about other places, but I fish with um, the NFC, the Norwegian Fly Fishers Club. And I do that. Well, obviously, the guy who owns it is a really good friend of ours. And that's how Charles and I met. Um, Technically, it's through Per Arneberg because he's a mutual friend. But you get a map. And it's as close to luxury steelhead fishing as you can get, in my opinion, for Atlantic salmon. Because you get this little map and you get your own beats. And you've got beats yeah. 24 hours a day. So say you've got a beat for eight hours. So you've got, you know, several beats throughout the day. And then you need to decide, does this beat suck? And if so, you know, it's only 11 a.m. Am I going to sleep from 11 a.m. till a se- till 7 p.m. and then fish my good beat from midnight till, or, you know, whatever the, the time ends right. up. Right. So it's mentally exhausting, but so invigorating. Charles and I were always, it was like, it was love at first sight. We would have fallen for each other anywhere, but that all added to it. 24 hours of light. You're on the river at 3am. It's like, you know, slightly dark. It's got the most enormous fish that you've ever seen. They're jumping randomly. It, it was all very exciting. Um, pear's got little fire stations on the beach so you can light your own fire and cook all your food over the fire. And it's really incredible. I think Norway is very special.
0: That does sound like a hell of a romantic setting. I will say that
1: much. How does everyone not fall in love on wow. these trips?
0: I mean, sounds like a fantastic <laughs> fishing setting, but also getting some romantic vibes here.
2: It's an incredible spot. And so I went, so that first trip, I never ended up landing a fish. I did end up hooking um, a fish for quite a while. We were able to see it jump, so we knew it was a big one on a, a tributary, or it was a separate river. It wasn't the Gala. And then I went back the next year. Did I go back with Charles? I can't remember, but anyway, I went back again, pregnant and, oh yeah, that's right. I bought, I, I had bought Charles for his birthday. I bought him a trip to Russia and I was pregnant and it was all this. I can't remember. It's all starting to blur together, but anyway, we met in Norway for a couple of days. and so then I stayed on for the rest of the week and fished really hard, even though I was pregnant and couldn't touch a fish for the life of me. Went home disappointed. We went back again with Adelaide, our daughter, and fished the exact same spot that I tried several years prior. And it was on that trip with Adelaide um, that I caught and landed my first Atlantic salmon on the gala or in Norway with her on my back. So that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, You know, I met Charles there and then to go back when we're pregnant with her and then to finally catch my first fish while she was on my back and she got to experience the whole thing. That was like, you know, sentimentally, that was my, my favorite
1: fishing story memory, but. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so cute. really
0: special. To she's get been
1: to. fishing longer than any of us. You know, when she's our age, she will that's have been right. fishing way longer than any of us. Yeah, she just thinks everyone does it. She doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't know it's not just that every
2: family does that.
1: That's so great, though, because you've made it natural as opposed to like forcing her into it. I feel like some people are like, but this is what I love. You're going to love it instead of just naturally making it part of. The routine. Family time. Yep. Exactly. Is she getting into it like on her own? Is
2: she No, I don't think so. Um, she goes in and out of it. She comes in with really wanting to be involved and then sometimes she just wants to play on the river with us and we just don't push anything at all. She comes in and out as she'd like. But we're going. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, kid, we're going. So yeah. you can either come with That's us or it. you can go it with, is what it is. with someone else. It's up to you.
0: Well, I do want to see if I can get one BC steelhead story out of you before we leave because you you spent so much time there. I mean, what's the biggest steelhead you saw in your guiding career in BC?
2: Mm, Probably 45 inches. The biggest one I've landed, I landed three 40 inches. Yeah, but I've seen to the shore. I mean, I'm assuming it wasn't landed. I had a client. It wasn't mine. Um, Yeah. And so at my feet... Cause like I said, I have landed myself three 40 inches and I've seen a number of 40 inches while guiding. And this was next level. It had to have been 44 up around there. Um, and the problem is, is, and, and you're right here. 95% of my fishing stories are steelhead. So that's why they probably, I just like, even, you know, don't even, I take them for granted, but, um, guiding on the Dean of all the places. Cause yeah, the other rivers I guided on weren't quite as special. They weren't as remote. Um, but right. being, being that close to the ocean. So you're literally landing fish. I mean, I land, I hooked some Chinook in the freshwater and landed them in the salt. Yeah. Jeez. But I, I feel like I have 10 trillion steelhead stories, but there's always the thing about steelhead stories is there's always something more to it. And I think you'll find this with a lot of steelheaders. There's always a, like all the good stories. There's a grizzly bear involved somewhere or A rafting accident or, you know, breaking an oar. I feel like steelhead fishing is so much more than just these incredible anadromous fish. There's always some other form of excitement. So um, I remember once I was guiding on the Dean and I had a mom. So I had a sound two cups here. I had a sound three cups here. Remember, we're in Canada. We're not guiding, we don't have guns. And then I had a big boar come in from behind. And he actually stood up, so it was all very, very um, hectic because it's a grizzly bear sanctuary, so you can't really do much.
0: Um, right, that was
2: wild. And then you're uh-uh. in their zone; they don't care uh-uh. about you.
0: <laughs> do you carry bear spray? I'm assuming. Oh, yeah,
2: and actually, I was really proud of myself because I didn't. I never really knew what I would do if I got charged, and that boar—that was the closest I've ever been to being quote-unquote charged. It was—it was the nearest uncomfortable experience I've had so far. And I don't even remember drawing or my spray or taking the cap off. And when everything kind of settled, I realized I was standing there with my spray drawn. So that was kind of cool. to
0: there That's you good. Go. That's that good. is good. Because
2: my first experience with, I remember I was fishing. It was just, it was me and my pup, well, Colby at the time. And I was fishing this river and there was like cougar. There was a cougar there. You could see fresh prints and we'd stumbled upon this deer and the deer was, the meat was still shiny was just killed and Colby had was smelling up and the cougar was around somewhere. And so I thought, even though cougars or cats have different glands on their eyes, I thought, well, I'll just pull out the spray and see, make sure it's not locked or something crazy. And I sprayed myself in the face no. with a freaking bear spray. And so I I was always a little bit nervous about my how confident I could be with myself and spray. But when push comes to shove it came naturally.
0: That's good.
1: Oh, God.
0: You know, I do feel like, first of all, we've realized with this podcast that most people's fishing stories that really come to mind are not when things went well, no. right? Like, that's not what sticks in your mind. Like, the fishing trip where everything went totally smooth, it's an okay story. Maybe you caught a nice fish, whatever. Like, the story that sticks in your mind is when something went bad. But then steelheading is such a, like trial anyway i mean it's synonymous with like hardship and long hours and like things not going right anyway they
1: live in beautiful places they're not close by to most anything right
0: it's rugged country and
1: (laughs) it's the adventure i don't don't think i don't know any steelheaders who just are in it for the
2: fish i mean it's almost always an adventure like a forgotten town that you know thompson was fishing near graveyards and it's it's dangerous it's exciting um, flipping a raft, I mean, that was one of the scariest moments of my life. I honestly didn't think I was going to make it. Um, when I flipped my raft on the Dean, but it, it has made for a very memorable trip, you know. I think about it all the time, so and I'm thankful, um, to still be here. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I could tell you a million stories about landing amazing fish, and it's great, you know. You're swinging, and I'm so relaxed, and I'm thinking about the beautiful, ter- you know, surroundings, and then my line pulls tight and it jumps, and I land it. and I look at it for a moment and let it go. <laughs> but, you know, and I remember those stories, and I don't even I don't need photos to remember the fish. I uh, those fish are bookmarked. But when I really think of the pivotal or the really life-changing stories, they almost always have
1: adventure built into them somewhere,
0: yeah, yeah definitely.
1: I've never gone steelheading, unfortunately. Maybe if the fish can take it, I'll do it one day. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, well, we've had
1: many a misadventure. That's
0: true. <laughs> my steelhead career was relatively limited. You know, we went to school out on the, in the Pacific Northwest in Portland. So one of the reasons I went to school out there was to fish for steelhead because I wanted to fish for something new. And so I steelhead fished out there for like six years. And had a great time, a lot of which I was just standing in the rain wondering if Winter Run Steelhead existed or didn't exist. But to your point, the stories that I remember are not particular fish, but of trips that were uh, adventurous for other reasons.
2: Yeah, right. And it could be camaraderie. It could be danger. It could be just adrenaline. Um, if I had to think of one funny Steelhead story, and it, the thing is about these stories is, you, they never do it justice unless you're there. You know what I mean? I remember my brother-in-law, because Stevie Stevie Morrell, so Steve Morrell and I used to guide together on the Dean. And in our off time, we spent a lot of time fishing together. And so he's hooked into this Dean steelhead. And it was like slow motion where you could see his line, you know, you see the line starting to come up to the surface, you know, the fish is going to jump. These fish are so powerful, but they're supposed to jump out there. And because I was fishing downstream of him, Oh, was I down or up? Anyway, I was on the side of him on the bank. He had slow motion. You could see the line coming up and this big, beautiful steel. Ass. She would have been about 12 pounds or so. Launches up and fully body slams me <laughs> and legit almost knocked me on my ass. And I've got this picture. I've got this big slime wet mark on my waders where she body slammed me. But I felt like I'd been pushed by a full grown man. It was unbelievable how much power she had. Um, but you know, things like that, that you just, you just together get a kick out of, we still tell that story, you know, we'll be telling it to our kids when we're older. Cause you know, for us, it was, it made our day.
0: Yeah, but. That's a good one. Not that many people have been body slammed by a steelhead.
1: No.
2: Yeah. That was the first, that was the first and the last for me. So, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: well, it's been so fun just to chat and chuckle and tell stories together um, I do want to give you a chance to tell everyone where they can see your master classes and join the brand new website coming Ooh, soon.
2: Thank you. Yeah, so it's just anchoredoutdoors.com. Um, it's me, so you will be and the community. So you'll be dealing with me and the community and the new um, the new website is really um, when's that set? First in a month, it should be out in a month. But the membership itself is pretty much uh, done. Obviously, we're always adding to it. We've got 20 plus masterclasses, three phase program. So you, we suggest you start at phase one, work your way through. And what's really cool about the membership is you can, you know, you can do it on, on your own pace, but you earn points. I don't know if you if you have figured this out yet on the membership, but as you go through, you can test your learning and earn points. And the points that you earn are each worth a dollar and they actually equate to more than what the membership itself costs. So that's awesome. you kind of get paid to use your membership and become a better angler. So yeah, very proud of it. Very fulfilling. I love our community. Um, we get to have interactive nights and get to meet everybody.
1: So it's it's always a good time. Well, that's great. Well, we look forward to seeing the upgrades and updates to the website and continuing our learning journey. Um, But honestly, by the time this comes out, it'll be launched. Yeah, I was going to say for everybody
0: listening, go check it out because it's live.
1: Yeah. And hopefully by the time that this comes out, you've also reprinted. I'm going to put the pressure on
2: you. Those beautiful mugs (laughs) with that amazing trope that turns into a fly. what is it? A streamer?
1: It's the Salmo streamer mug. April is... uh, pressuring us into the sample Yeah, we're
0: going to get another run going just for you, April, but it's not going to be done by the time this comes out. I hate to tell you. It'll
1: that. be in time for Christmas. These are all enamel. So it's like ceramic enamel. You can put it right on the fire. They're awesome. Oh uh, yeah. No, I, well, I think you've got something going on with that cream with the black.
2: I would, I'm first in line if that is reprinted okay all right
0: we're on you heard it here first well so great to talk to you we really appreciate you taking the time and keep up all the great work we look forward to hearing more stories down the line
2: me too thanks guys
0: thanks april